So welcome to the second episode of Pop Culture Double Date. Uh, this episode, we actually do have a double date. We're joined by Maggie, Anija, and Gerald. So instead of Pop Culture Third Wheel, it's actually a Pop Culture du- Double Date tonight. And Yay! Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> and to celebrate this momentous occasion, we're, we're spending today talking about Westworld. Now, we know that... Um, there's already been three episodes of Westworld to date, so there's going to be a lot to talk about. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we should get started. And I, I think the other thing um, we should note is that, as usual, this is going to be a full spoilers podcast. Um, and going forward each week, I think what we're going to do is we're going to get together and talk about the new weekly Westworld episode as it comes out. But given that we're a bit late... We're going to talk about everything that's happened to date tonight. Um, so yeah, like um, just around the table, how's everybody felt Westworld's been going so far? Well, look, I'll 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 I'll, I'll, I'll start. Look, I've I've always found the show intriguing, um, to say the least. But my concern is that the show. Because of the structure of the storytelling, uh, because of the narrative sides of hand it's constantly pulling, um, is more becoming theory-based than anything else. Um, I think it runs the risk of that. We are, you know, my, so my concern is that we, 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 we might be seeing soon the lostification of Westworld, and I think that would be a shame. But so far, so good. I have, I think, a fair amount of faith in the, in the showrunners, and I'm thinking... Um, that uh, they've they've obviously got enough of a plan to pull this season together, but um, there are I think uh, times when they sort of rely on these narrative crutches, these gimmicks, you know, these sleights of hand, um, playing tricky, playing around with identity and so on. And I think it remains to be seen whether um, they can say anything interesting about say consciousness or our relationship with technology in a way that doesn't rely simply upon sort of pulling narrative rabbits out of their hats. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, hey, that's that's just that's just that's so that's just a note of skepticism on my part, which is not to say I don't enjoy the show. I do enjoy it very much, but um, it's not quite filling the void of Game of Thrones. Mm, yeah. Interesting, interesting. So I, I think for me, I'm I'm definitely really enjoying it. Um, I, I think I actually do agree with you a lot, Gerald. But, I mean, if I take a step back, um, I think I'd kind of forgotten how intriguing Westworld was, right? Because, you know, it'd gone off air for how long? I think it was more than a year, right? And so yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't, like, super hyped to sort of catch up with Westworld again. And um, I think immediately on watching that first episode, it kind of reminded, like, there were certain aspects of this show that, like, I just really, really dig, right? So I think there's the perception of depth in this show, because I I think thematically, each show actually has a sort of strong thematic core running through it. I think, um, so, I mean, that makes it different from a lot of, other TV shows, it definitely feels like hard sci-fi, right? You're dealing with, like, sort of 
very sort of, you know, Philip K. Dick style, like sci-fi style themes, nature of consciousness, the relationship between creator and creations, etc. All this type of like cool sort of sci-fi stuff, which, you know, really rocks my boat. Um, mm. And I, I think the other thing that, like, as I was sort of thinking about why it is that Westworld really intrigues me, um, I think you're right, Jez, because the way they structure the show is, like, I mean, this entire, like, this season is structured around this sort of flashback sort of premise, right? Which they kind of used in season one, but not as over... Like, in season one, you didn't know that half of the scenes were flashback. Now it's overt that hey, half of these scenes are flashback and, you know, that creates the tension and the intrigue and the speculation, right? And I know that that is a narrative sleight of hand, but I kind of feel like, in some ways, I don't really care, right? In terms of, like, as a rollicking good ride, I I kind of feel like it's fine. It, It definitely, like, satisfies me in that way. But to your point, I am concerned... Like, I guess... All of us were so burnt by Lost that whenever, <laughs> like, would you agree with that, Anja? That whenever you see, I those... was the most burnt because I believed right up till the last moment they were going to resolve everything in a satisfactory way. So I was very burnt. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think like all of us around this table, because we were so burnt by Lost, I definitely sense elements of that lost style of storytelling in Westworld, and that sometimes worries me. Well, I would say, um, as, as someone around the table who hasn't watched Lost, um, I'm actually really, really enjoying these new threads of intrigue and characters and um, the flashbacks. I'm actually really, really enjoying it, and I'm enjoying asking all the questions that you can't answer at this stage after three episodes have been aired, you know, which are sort of coming up. Um, you know, who are all these new characters and and what are all these new um, new scenes which are popping up and new sort of character dimensions which are coming around? I'm actually really, really enjoying it. So I guess I haven't, I haven't lost. <laughs> you haven't? Um, I, haven't, I, haven't <laughs> I haven't become a cynic yet. <laughs> you, you still sl- see the splendour, Mags. You still see the splendour. I do. It's so I full of splendour. I, <laughs> I haven't become Wyatt yet. I haven't become Wyatt yet. I love everything. I love everything about it. Everything about Westworld, um, I think, is awesome. Um, so I disagree that um, it is just uh, theory bait, and I, I, I don't fear that that's what it is. I think it does um, explore interesting ideas about consciousness, and I have that um, feeling every episode. So I think one of the main sort of things that comes up on in every episode that we're asking ourselves is are these robots actually um, do they are they do they actually have free will right let's let's call it free will do they have that um, and the show is always sort of leading us to uh, to to doubt that right we doubt it and then we say no no they do and then we think oh but do they really um, so you know even like Dolores with her switching in the most recent episode, back to the dialogue she used to use um, on the farm with her father, you do keep 
even with her, you're always asking, asking yourself, is she actually, does she actually have free will or is she still stuck on a loop? And what I think is fascinating about this is that you could ask the same kind of questions about human beings themselves. Now, if you sort of think about determinism, um, did I say that right? I'm not sure if I said that right. But, you know, the, the, the theory that none of us actually have free will and that we're all just sort of programmed to behave in certain ways by our body chemistry, the way we've been wired, the experiences we've, we've had in the past, that if you took all of those things and you fed them through a computer, the computer could probably predict everything we were to do next in a given situation. So, you know, those are questions that have been asked about human beings. And to see that mirrored in the robots, um, I think, is really, fascinating even like the question you know are they still stuck on their loops well are we stuck on loops we, we get up every day and we do the same thing every day we respond in exactly the same way to everything we have three meals a day we, we get into traffic I just constantly see parallels between us and these robots and it asks and it, it, to me it always raises really alarming questions about the nature of free will and if any of us have it um, you know let alone whether the robots have it so I think it does explore all of that um, so I love that aspect of it. In terms of the flashbacks, I went back and watched the entire season one again before season uh, two started. Wow. And <laughs> this is the best show to re-watch once you know how it all plays out because they really do like put little hints here and there and things have so much more meaning when you go back and watch them when you know how the story plays out and you're not confused. Um, so I actually think they did a really good job with season one. And if you rewatch it, you'd probably um, sort of see that as, as well, I, I suspect. So I, I've got a lot of trust and faith in them in season two. I don't think it's going to be lost. I think they're going to blow us away. So, mm. Anija, so I, I think, um, look, I, I actually do agree with you. Part of me does worry about the lossification of it. But, I mean, my, my counter to that to myself, basically, is that when you watch season one as an individual body of work, season one of Westworld, you could watch even without season two, and it's still really mm. satisfying, right? It, like, it yeah. feels contained, beginning and end. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not completely resolved at the end, but there's enough resolution there that you feel. And so all of the threads that I felt were there in season one, I felt like they were like reasonably resolved by the end of the season. Mm. I never got the sense that, you know, Lost just kept like, just it was just new threads on Adding threads, like things. nothing ever yep. got resolved. So, And I kind of feel like that is already happening in season two. So I want to like talk about like one scene that really, like, so um, Mags and I actually rewatched the first three episodes of season two <laughs> in preparation for this. And I think you're absolutely right because I... After watching the first three episodes, I rewatched season one, and within the first, like, ten minutes, there was this little nugget that you're like, oh, wow, that's yeah. that's consistent. So, you know, there's the there's the bandit in the top hat. He's got this big sort of handlebar moustache and, like, beard. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, yeah. and you know how he, he is the one who terrorizes the ranch, right? Because yeah. the guy who gets shot up and he keeps drinking milk when he malfunctions, yeah. right, in the first season. Oh, this is this is this is Rebus. Yes, Rebus, him. Yeah. yeah. So you know how he he basically is capturing real people, and then Bernard and Tessa Thompson, I can't remember her name, but um, basically oh. capture him, capture him, and Bernard hardwires into him and makes him ultra virtuous and the fastest gun in the West, right? 
like really funny and he completely changes character and anyway in the first episode when um the delos guys are rocking up and they're executing hosts on the beach he actually comes running through to protect all the female hosts and he's like exactly. yeah and it's just like when you first watch it, you have no context. You're like, what the hell is it going on like here? It looks like an inconsistency because he's a bad guy. So when you first watch it, it looks like, what's he doing running out to protect the women? That's not his character. They've got that wrong. When actually, they've 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 got the answer to it in yeah. two episodes later. Yeah, absolutely. Actually. And it, it feels yeah. so satisfying when you rewatching it rewatch it because you're like hey they actually really pay attention to this detail yeah like and that's kind of like that's what makes this show kind of like click for me anyway Mm. yeah yeah um so look I, i think we've all kind of gone around and given our initial thoughts um why don't we talk about um why don't because you brought up this idea of free will, and I, I think it's a good segue into talking about Dolores and how she's kind of going. Well, I, I think it's a good segue to talking about Dolores and Maeve, probably, um, mm. and how kind of they're going um, in this second season. So, um, do you guys feel like Dolores is still on the rails? Like sane? Is that what you mean? Or Not still following a loop? Still following a loop. Is she, is she actually a fully realized individual with any any degree of free will? Or is she actually just... Because part of me, when I watch the way mm. Dolores acts, is that she is just playing the character of Wyatt. Wyatt. I, I, yeah. I know, Mags, you, you, you were talking about this with me um, last night. Do you, do you want to have a chat about it? Yeah, I think, um, like, I'm, I'm sitting on the fence a little bit now again after thinking about it. And uh, on the one hand, it feels like she is still on, you know, following a storyline because of the dialogue that they, you know, have given to her and and the way in which she, she speaks, it, you know, um, the different tones that she has when she's Dolores or when she's Wyatt and then when she refers to herself in third person that's when, you, you know, I, I kind of think, oh, maybe she isn't. Maybe she is actually sentient and she's trying to feel out her own way. But, you know, there are parts of the um, of the show, like the scene in the, um, what was it, in the barn where they go to meet the confederados. That was an incredible scene. Mm. Um, and in that scene, it kind of felt like maybe she is playing a character. Maybe she is actually playing Wyatt, the storyline that Ford gave to her. But then you see scenes where, um, where, where was it? I think it was in one of the bunkers. Um, and then she refers to the farm girl and then she refers to Wyatt and then she refers to herself, the new mm. character that she's got to play, which is herself. Mm. Um, so it's just those little um, little threads where, you know, they make you almost think, oh, maybe she is still following a story. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is still Ford that's controlling the entire revolution and it's not yeah. really a revolution. But yeah. then then you have those moments where it's almost like the those moments of poetry in the script. Yeah. Um, that's when you think, oh, actually, she's speaking for herself with her own voice. And Do you know those, what? No, go on. No, I was just going to say that those are the moments where I think you know, when you were talking about determinism and where they're, they're kind of exploring deeper themes, 
those are those moments where it really does feel like the show is almost speaking to its audience about survival or, you know, the nature of humanity, the nature of existence. Mm. Do you know what I think what I think it's all heading to or what I think they're trying to say. With Dolores, we don't really have any proof like we do with Maeve that she is off her loop because with Maeve, we saw the programming say Maeve exits the park, takes over the world or whatever it said, Um, and we know that she acts contrary to what her programming had said. So we kind of know that she is off her loop. With Dolores, clearly Ford planned that entire thing for, for him to be shot. Like he wouldn't have just, um, you know, that is his final act. This is the final narrative that he's planned. So by shooting him, you know, she did what she was meant to do. And the first time she shot Arnold, she did what she was meant to do. Um, so we don't really have concrete proof that she's off her loop. Having said that, you know, you do see her um, play these different characters, Wyatt, um, Dolores, and then herself. To me, that mirrors human beings. Like, we play different characters. You know, some of the, some of what we play is given to us by our parents. You know, we've sort of taken on a lot of um, the, the lessons they've taught us and what they've made us be, like how they how they brought us up we've taken a lot of that on Uh, and then other parts of us we've taken on from different aspects of the world and then there's another part of us that's kind of unique um what's you know is that any different and again like i said are we all on loops based on you know the past we've had the way we're the way our body chemistry works um you know so to me that it almost doesn't matter if she's on a loop or not she's no less human in that sense she's got no more or less free will than us but what i think the show is actually trying to say about Maeve, and this is a this is a bit kooky but i think what it's trying to say is that none of us really have free will except to the extent that love alters things and causes um causes um unpredictability lack of predictability in otherwise pre-programmed behavior in all of us in human beings and in these robots because it's love for her daughter that that kind of triggers this moving away from her loop um so i do think that they're gonna i think they're gonna come back to the idea of love being that one factor that actually introduces um free will into behavior and make the point that otherwise everything that humans do and everything that the robots are doing it is kind of pre-programming and it is a loop so 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 we get we find ourselves we find ourselves dealing with um with the anne hathaway speech from interstellar Mm. Um, oh yeah. We have Chris the, Nolan writing the Yan Hathaway love transcend <laughs> space and time speech in the cellar, and his younger, lesser known brother Jonathan now seeding in this show the notion that uh, that that uh, that love will break you off out of your loop. Um, yeah, yeah, I can I can kind of see that. Is it love? But it's interesting. Though? The show. Uh, I mean, well, I, what do you think? Yeah. Maeve's case, in Mabe's case, it, it's something that. Well, I mean, she doesn't take. As I recall, there's a moment where she doesn't take kindly to the notion that, you know, the 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 child in the homestead, it's all just her story. She mm. fe- she refers to this girl as her daughter, and for her, I think the filial connection is very real. So, um, and it's what prompts her to to get out of the train at the end of season one. So, um, at the very least, there's something, some sort of filial bond that she feels for this. Um, for this uh, little girl robot, 
um, who I think is now, or at least the last time we saw her in the current timeline, she was Lawrence's daughter in that town in which the man in black shot up everyone. Really? Was she the crazy girl who was telling her to... Really? Remember? No. So, no. Oh, look, that I, right? I could be completely wrong about that. But I, like I, their race is a different Gerald. <laughs> Gerald. Gerald doesn't see color. Gerald. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> that. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just racist. Um, but, but the thing is, the thing is, look, even if, even if I'm wrong in that regard, I think um, the, the show is very much pushing the idea that here's a filial bond that's that's causing Maeve to go off a loop. Um, and so we ask ourselves then, well, what what is driving Dolores? And it's not entirely sh- it's not entirely clear. The opening scene of this season is a moment is is a dialogue between a person we think is Arnold and Dolores in her earliest incarnation, and uh, it, Arnold expresses fear at what Dolores is becoming. So at the very least, they're seeding there the idea that. Hey, she's she's developing beyond the limitations of her programming or her coding or whatever. And the very first um, monologue is when, as she hangs those three uh, guests who are members of the Delos board, um, she tells them that she's played various roles in the past, and for the very first time, she's playing herself. Um, and I suppose we um, we are supposed to buy the idea that with that history of trauma over three decades, with the man in black repeatedly inflicting all manner of trauma on her, she has just gone completely haywire. But I think it's fair to say, it's fair to say that, um, that we are left, nonetheless, though, with the idea that this might all just be the responsibility of Ford, because almost up until the very end of the final episode of season one, particularly as she and Teddy head towards the beach, she's still very much on the loop. Um, Yep. And so it's not entirely clear that she's broken away from her coding the way Maeve has. And so that, that contrast is drawn between um, the two of them. And I suppose in a sense, uh, we are asked the question, does it even matter? Because yes. Because the two yes. of them in their own way are, are, are leading a revolt against the human masters. doesn't matter that, that Maeve is off the loop and Dolores is still, may, may, may still be on her first. Uh, might not matter a job. But, but I think there are significant differences between Maeve and Dolores, and I, I think the show does kind of try... So, look, I think there's a couple of points there, right? Um, so, yeah, I think... So, my sense is that Dolores, regardless of whether it matters or not, my sense is that Dolores still is kind of on a loop, because we know that Ford is sending the man in black messages basically from the grave telling him that he is part of this greater game that Ford has created for it. So basically Ford, like this whole thing is a game for the man in black so that Ford can somehow manipulate the man in black. Now obviously this goes to like you know Ford playing God, not just with humans but with robots etc, right? Like so that that's, that's there um and it kind of feels like Dolores is on this collision course with the Man in Black, right? And that is kind of part of the game that Ford has kind of been planning all along. 
Um, so in terms of her actions as Wyatt, like my sense is that she is still on a loop. But I also get the sense that she's kind of struggling with that. Like there's a part of her that kind of, yeah, I get the sense that is aware that she's being like, it's not against her will, but she recognizes that this is a path that is not necessarily her own path, right? Um, so it's, I think, I, I think that's that's kind of interesting. Um, I, I think, kind of what, I mean, in this in this season, there's a lot there's a lot of talk about what is real and what is not, right? You know, like the opening line is about what's a dream and what's real. Mm-hmm. And um, I think with Maeve, so obviously love is seen as something that is real. But I, but I actually think, and look, I, I could be proven wrong, but I think it's actually a level above that, which is like relationships between conscious beings are real, <laughs> Right, and I think that what Dolores and the Man in Black are going to realize is that their relationship over the years, like full of trauma and initially love and all this type of stuff, that is real, right? That creates kind of like a real bond between those characters, right? It creates this need for Dolores to like murder the Man in Black, essentially, right? And the Man in Black to kind of probe Dolores to figure out like whether she's real or not, like. That is real. In the same way that, like, Maeve's relationship with her daughter, even though it was kind of like a program part of the story, the fact that she had those experiences with that individual and build up, built up that relationship, that is real. Similarly, you have, like, Dolores and Abernathy, right? Like, we know that, like, they're not really related in, like, a flesh and blood sort of sense, but because they played those roles for so long, that memory... And that sort of relationship over time creates, like, a real bond, right? And, you know, like, my sense is that kind of, that's kind of where the show show is pushing, because Bernard's initial line to Dolores is, well, you know, everything is a dream, what's real? Well, that which is irreplaceable. And I think that which is irreplaceable is actually the relationships between individuals, not the sort of, like... I guess your personality traits or whatever it is that like can be mm-hmm. like fed into you. Mm. So not whether you're made of flesh or made of metal, but the fact that you are building relationships. Yeah, with with, with other conscious yeah, like beings, right? I like that. Yeah. I don't know. Nice. We'll, we'll see. Right? That slightly problematizes that. There is something that slightly problematizes that. I think, um, and I don't know whether it's it's delivered in the show. Um, it, it, it's this. At the end of season one, uh, Maeve leaves Hector um, to, you know, cop all this fire from the from the Dallas security forces in the main control center, and um, and that relationship for that in that instance seems kind of disposable, but um, but in the most recent episode, Sizemore is taken aback that Maeve and Hector have actually formed a relationship, and that, um, and uh, so, in a sense, um, what what forces Hector and Maeve slightly off their loop is the fact that they formed a bond over the course of season one, which might be slightly disposable. It's not it's not the most profound relationship, but it still moves them off their course enough for Sizemore to say, "Hey, this isn't supposed to happen." 
Um, so it may not be, it may not even require the deepest connection between sentient beings for um, us to be to express ourselves in a way that transcends our programming, as it were. Yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about Maeve, right? Because I, I actually feel like she is the most interesting character now <laughs> because she's kind of gathered this ragtag band of hosts and humans, <laughs> I guess. Mm. Um, and she seems to be like... So, okay, so, I mean, Dolores' character is messianic, right? And there's, like, so much symbolism and imagery throughout all three episodes that relate to her as messianic, right? Like, I mean, it's part of why I love the show, that it's so, like, rife with symbolism everywhere, right? You know, mm-hmm. like, the scene when they walk into that barn with the confederados, and it's basically yeah. like the Last Supper, right? And then, yeah. she, and then she's saying stuff like, oh, they're children, they know not what they do, right? Which is, like, very sort of, like, Christian Jesus Christ sort of thing, right? So yeah. that's that's awesome. But Maeve is kind of this character that is kind of like... I kind of feel like she's writing her own rules, right? Like, she just doesn't care. Like, the scene that I loved with with Maeve was when Sizemore tells her, I wrote that line for you, and... Hector gets concerned by that, right? Hector walks off and he's kind of like in a bit of a huff, right? That's kind of how I I interpreted it. But Maeve kind of looks at him and kind of says, honestly, I know that you wrote me that line and I don't care because I'm just using it to express myself. It doesn't actually matter to me whether, like, my jokes or whatever it is are Mm pre-canned, right? And Mm -hmm. I I thought that was like a real point of difference between Maeve and Dolores, because Dolores, you can feel, is struggling with that, am I on the rails or not, right? With Maeve, she's almost like, I actually don't care, <laughs> which... <laughs> and that, that, actually, um, that actually calls back to another scene in the first episode of the season, when, um, what does Maeve say? Maeve says, I'll, I'll, I'll basically threatens to cut Sizemore's dick off and feed it to him, and says... Won't be very, won't be a very big meal. And and Sizemore says, "Hey, I wrote that for you." And she says, "Yeah, I know. It's a little bit bored for me." So she's she's developed a, a, a level of critical detachment from from her own loop, as it were. And so Self awareness. She's now able to stand. Mm. She's standing outside the loop and judging and saying, "Yeah, you know, this some of these lines of dialogue are a bit shit and you know don't work." And so she's 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 self appraising and self aware in a way that uh, that Dolores isn't. Yeah. Having said that, she is not headed towards survival. Like, what she's doing right now, which is quest to find her daughter, like, that's a personal and short-term goal. Like, if she gets to her daughter and then the humans come in and machine gun everyone down and rip all the, the robots apart, then what will it matter that she's found her daughter? So I know that the show is definitely presenting Maeve as the more enlightened one, the one that's really off her loop, the one that we can all love and like and think is amazing and get behind. But... It doesn't make sense. If these are truly sentient beings, they should be prioritizing survival or they're not going to be worth assault, right? They're not going to be worth anything. They're going to be gone. Um, Dolores is at least doing what they need to do to survive as a race. What Maeve is doing is going to get them all... They're all going to be dead in the end. 
But it, that's what I actually find really fascinating is what happens after Maeve achieves her goal or what happens if Maeve finds out that, in fact, her daughter either doesn't exist or is dead. What what would be her motivation after that? So I actually find that story, that question, the most interesting. Um, but also as well, like, it's it's kind of painting that kind of micro, that micro image of, you know, a, a human being and how they react in a situation of crisis. So mm. if you're, you know, someone like Maeve, you could be someone who is really just out to look after your nuclear family, the immediate people around you, and society mm. might be crumbling down, but really at the end of the day, it's the it's the survival of those that you're closest to that matters to you most. And so is that... Mm. Is that a sign of the you know of mm. her own humanness, a characteristic of humanness, that that need to protect those close, you know, around you, mm. and and is that actually the best way to guarantee the survival of mm. their species? Yeah, nice point. Yeah, I, I think that's that's definitely a fair point because the sense you get from Maeve is that she has a plan, right? And like, I mean, she's already kind of already playing at this idea that. I can really kind of blend in with humans and, you know, if I can get the technology right, they're not even going to know, really, right? I mean, she's kind of already tried that trick, right? Like, you know, when mm-hmm. um, yeah. she found Sizemore. So, like, yeah. I get the sense that Maeve is not someone who is um, who is about, who is kind of about personal survival and survival within her sort of immediate circle, while... Yeah, like it, it's it's really interesting, right? And I, I think this is kind of why the show this show is awesome, right? Because when you think like this show deals with this theme of survival, right? And what is acceptable, like if you're if you're out for survival, essentially. Mm. And if you think about it, like basically Dolores is saying, what is acceptable for survival is genocide, right? I. You know, it's us or them. I don't care. There's no morality involved. Morality is out the door when it comes to survival, right? And with Maeve, it, it's not really as kind of clear-cut as that, right? It feels more human, while with Dolores, it feels like ideological and like biblical almost, right? Rather than like individual, but if we were attacked by aliens, mm. would we would we be happy to commit genocide to ensure our survival? Of course we would, right? So I don't think mm. it's not human to feel like genocide is a, is acceptable if we need to survive. We would mm. all do that if they were like cockroach aliens that invaded tomorrow, <laughs> right? Like, and, that, and we may as well be aliens to them. Mm. We're a completely different, not even a race, different species, a different mm. thing altogether. But but do you not think there's a difference when? So then, what what? No, jazz go. I was just asking. Well, what thing do we make of the of the extent of the Christ imagery that is associated with Dolores this season? She is the avenging angel, uh, pushing genocide for the survival of her kind. Um, why the Last Supper imagery? Why the crown of thorns on Angela? Um, you know, you understand that messianic people often do pray, do have agendas that ultimately lead to mass murder, genocide, etc. But, but 
the, the thing about the imagery with Dolores is it's, it's they're not just pushing the idea that she has a messianic conception of herself. She's very much being clothed in Christ's imagery. And so my question, I suppose, is why and what is that meant to tell us? Yeah, so it, it's interesting, right? Because on some level, yes, so she's she is clothed in this um, Christ-like symbolism, right? But her actions are very Old Testament, don't you feel? Right? Because if you... I mean, oh, yeah, like, she... She... She's... She straight up, like, murders her own people as well, if it suits her goals, right? And that's, like, a very... Like, and she's just brutal. She's actually brutal, right? She has, like, no mercy, essentially. And... Like, so it's kind of this odd, like, messianic, but not necessarily, like, New Testament, like, Old Testament sort of Bible. And I think that sort of goes hand in hand with the character of Ford, because Ford is like a very Old Testament style of God as well, right? So, um, yeah, it's it's definitely... Yeah, I'm not quite sure where I land on that, Jez. I think it's a very interesting question. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. Yeah, it is weird because she is very Old Testament, but the, the imagery around her is very New Testament. Yeah. And so it's, I think there's, it's, there's it's sub- just really odd. They're subverting the idea of God in general. I think that's the whole point of it. The, I, I, I think what they're trying to say is they are more powerful um, than any God that we had. I think that's why she says things like, you know, I killed him. Like, I, 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 I killed the God. And, you know, she, what's her face? Um, Angela is wearing a crown of thorns because that might have been extremely painful torture to Jesus, but she can wear that with absolutely no burden on herself because she is pretty much invincible. So I, I feel like that's what the imagery is doing, giving us the message that they are our gods or more powerful than, you know, any gods we've known. That's actually a really interesting idea that maybe they're just shoving all this imagery in there and what it's basically trying to say to you is that, hey guys, this is the remix. It doesn't necessarily follow the human rules, right? Mm. It has some of the same elements of the human rules, but it actually is something different, right? It's religion Mm -hmm. remixed, right? And it's because we now live in this, like post-God world, essentially, where um, you know who your creators are and they are imperfect. So all the rules of, you know, traditional deities being sort of benevolent, sort of omnipotent, omniscient, perfect individuals, Mm. that's completely out the window. Like, the relationship between creator and creation no longer follows those rules. So, obviously, you have some of the same recurring motifs, but they don't mean the same thing. And so, yeah, that could be it. And if it is, it's really, really clever. Yeah. It's clever. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty dark as well. Cause think of, think of what Dolores has done over the course of two seasons. She has killed God. She's killed Ford. And in Christian religion, uh, God's son, an incarnation of God himself, offers himself as a sacrifice and dies. So yeah, the, the image of a God dying is common to, you know, the traditional New Testament tale and the story of Dolores, but Dolores is the character who, who kills God. So she does something that sort of almost darkly parodies um, Christian myth. And then uh, in this season, uh, we find her sort of, um, we find her sort of 
interrupting something that looks like a Last Supper. But she's not a participant in the Last Supper. She's interrupting it, and she blows up everyone who's who's there. She's the one who's killing the participants in the Last Supper. Um, at one point, there's a there's a soldier who appears to be crucified in one scene, and Angela's wearing the crown of thorns. Even though Angela is a side character, she's not of any particular significance yet, even though she's the person who lured Logan Delos into investing in Westworld uh, in the first place. So the idea that, you know, the crown, of thorns, the crown of thorns, which was worn by the Son of God at the moment of his death, is now passed on to some minor character. Everything here seems to be this sort of dark parody of the, sign- the significance of all these things in, in Christian imagery and Christian myth. So it's almost as if the show is saying, look, we are, we really are rewriting the rules here, or at least these, 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 these creatures are these robots. And, uh, in so doing, they're completely toying around and fucking around with the way we understand certain very important symbols and images to be and to mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I definitely feel that if that's, that's the case, it's, it, it, it's very clever. Um, a couple of I was just thinking about um, who was it who said the line? Um, oh, it's a man in black who said the line that they created the park so that people could come here um, to get away from God to sin in peace. Um, so it's just like you know the idea that Westworld was created for the sole idea of actually almost like human. It's almost like a, a reverse Garden of Eden, um, yeah. and these figures who you know were created for our own pleasure so that we could actually feast on them so to speak have kind of um, emerged and broken free so mm. it also raises the question for me of if if Dolores is the hand that killed God then the man in black what role is he playing then in relation mm. to her if Ford is the one who actually set up this whole game you know that he's meant to see out to the end to find this door whatever that is, what is his role then in relation to Dolores? I think I think this is a good point to kind of sort of start talking about kind of where we think things are going. Um, yeah, and absolutely, I, I'm not entirely sure what, like, what in what this Man in Black story is really leading to. The only sense that I get would be that at the end of this season, there is going to be a cathartic showdown between the Man in Black and Dolores, and somehow that is going to, like, show the Man in Black that there is something real, or break Dolores out of her sort of character loop, right? But... I don't know, that's like a very sort of vague, (laughs) vague speculative um, idea... All I know is if they... I just think it's problematic that the function of Dolores would be to show him that there's something real so that he can achieve some kind of catharsis because he's been abusing her for decades. Um, So, like, I hope that it doesn't come down to, to to, to that, you know... I don't know. I, something about it feels 
uncomfortable. And I don't know what more there could be between them. They've already had a moment in season one where she remembers William for the first time. In de- she, she hasn't had a memory um, ever that he's known her. He's been trying to trigger these memories in her, and she's never had one, and she has it for the first time, and it's a memory of love for William. And he just laughs at it. He's not moved by that. Like, he looks down on that. Um, and he punch, you know, they fight it out after that. Um, and she gets out of there. I, I don't know what more there could be to them. Like, it is really unsatisfactory that they had this huge thing and it's just gone and it's become terrible and it's become mm. abusive and it's become meaningless. Mm. But I don't think that can be resolved. There's no resolution there. It is what it is and it's heartbreaking mm. and it's horrible and it's devastating and it just is what it is. Um, I don't know where it's going with the man in black, but one thing I really need to see from this show is how he became so incredibly evil. Like, mm. I, I just don't think the show has explained that yet. And I see that it's starting to by showing us sort of flashbacks to him. But he's gone from being this, like, open, naive, almost um, sort of vulnerable person who wants to do the right thing to this cynical, bitter, like, cruel, mean-spirited individual. And, uh, you know, the explanation that the woman he thought or the, the robot he thought he loved is actually just the robot, like, it's not enough to, to sort of explain that incredible turnaround. And I, I want them to explain that more to me. Hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. See, see, really I, good point. Yeah, so I, I think that he... Like, for me, I, I can understand that he would treat the park like a plaything if he thinks that none of it is real, Right. I mean, yes, mm. there's a there's a big for, like there's a big change between season one William and kind of like where he is now, right? I think you can see that sort of slowly happening in the flashbacks when he, you know, when he pulls Dolores aside and basically says, "You're actually nothing more than just a just a robot," right? Like he mm-hmm. he like in his mind, you you can see him slowly sort of getting like questioning whether anything he experienced was real or not. And I think what the show is trying to say is that what he got out of his experience at Westworld was not necessarily that you could form real relationships with robots, but it was that, you know, actually what got me through it was me being a total hard-ass and a badass, right? And actually... That's what I learned. And in the real world now, I'm going to apply that same level of ruthlessness. Um, uh, I was just about to say, does anyone get the feeling that with the story, with the way the, the story of William has been told, the show is almost having a bit of having a bit of a laugh at Game of Thrones' expense, by which I mean this. Very often the criticism is made of Game of Thrones that you know terrible things happen to female characters in order to spur male characters to do something. For example, um, Sansa being raped by Ramsay uh, forces Reek to become Theon once more. And there's that moment in episode two when young William and Dolores are sitting uh, in that room, Dolores is naked, and William basically tells her, you've just been an instrument for me to discover myself. And the show is kind of having a metal wink at the notion that there are so many stories being told that have been told about terrible things happening to women and it being um, 
a form of catharsis or a catalyst for men to do something. Mm. Um, and so I think the show would be making a very, very big mistake if somehow Dolores' story ultimately ended up becoming the way in which the man in black either discovers something new about himself yep. or achieves some redemption or achieves peace. I think I think we would all be entitled to sort of throw tomatoes at our TVs if that happened. Mm. Let's hope it doesn't. But mm. the show seems to be aware of how, you know, that, that's, that's, we're moving away from that sort of storytelling. Yeah. Um, because we're meant to feel really disgusted with William about meeting with Dolores in episode mm. two. Yeah. Um, One of my theories is that, so we know that Delos is now basically capturing, well, has from the very beginning been capturing the information of the people who visit the park, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, so, Facebook. Yeah, so I mean, Based on that, I wonder if they've been using that as the raw material to create the host's personalities. So that mm. the hosts are actually sort of <laughs> like perverse mirrors people. of real guests that have actually visited the park. So, Like Bernard and yeah, Arnold. Yes, or like in my mind, Teddy is actually a point-in-time capture of William. Mm. Because yeah. he is Teddy represents William when he was White Hat, right? Before yeah. he went through this change, right? So Teddy yeah. is this like, so like I wonder. He if, even looks like him a little bit. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. And then he has the opening scene. I mean, William's opening scene with Dolores is when he picks up the milk can for her, right? Mm. And te- that is actually Teddy's scene as well. So I wonder if Ford has basically been like. Well, you know, it's a shortcut kind of developing these guys. I'm just going to take the data and just, like, basically, like, the best experiences that guests have, I'm just going to turn them into actually hosts, right, as a, yeah. and a point-in-time capture. So I wonder if that Teddy is now going to go through, like, <laughs> basically go through a sort of William sort of style experience when he is going to be, like, completely... <laughs> Um, feel completely, I guess, lost. <laughs> That's an interesting idea, actually, because you know how there was that line where Dolores is trying to convince Teddy to follow her cause, and she's showing him the um, that place where William had taken her to show her the um, his greatest mistake, and she says to him. Um, whenever I look back at my memories, and I have so many memories of, you know, horrific things, but also beautiful things that I've seen, the one constant is always you. Mm. That, I wonder mm, yeah. if she's thinking about yeah. women as well. Mm. Yeah, that's 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 actually a really good pickup, Mags. I, I I didn't pick that up, but. Yeah, that could be that could be the case. And you can. The only thing is, they never had that data before. Um, w- while um, William was a good guy, because it was William's idea to start collecting data, and that happened after he turned. But but it's still it's That's still a possible. good point. Yeah, good point. but it's still possible. Yeah. Yeah, because you know that, for example, Sizemore, like Hector, is basically a version of Sizemore, right? Like he's a, he's admitted mm. it. Right, that basically a lot of Hector's personality traits are basically Sizemore's idealized version of himself. 
So, mm. yeah. Anyway, it's it's something that I, w- I was thinking about simply because there are... Teddy is, like, a much better-looking, like, more rugged version of William when he first enters the park, right? Personality-wise, mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. 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 Um, any other sort of theories that we want to, like, float? Let's let's put our bets down now so that at the end of the season we can evaluate okay. how accurate we were. What What's going on with Abernathy? I... <laughs> okay, so, okay. I love how they've done Abernathy this season, right? I love how the way he is malfunctioning, it almost feels organic, right? It's kind mm-hmm. of like the robot version of getting Alzheimer's or... Becoming senile, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, right? Like, yeah. And yeah. the way Dolores reacts to him is like that sort of the heartbreaking moment when yeah. like a child, you know, sees their parents, you know, start starting to go senile, right? Like, and you know that this is, this is actually just a problem in the software interacting with the hardware, right? You know that this is like... It's just programming, right? But the way it's portrayed is kind of like, it feels organic. And I love how that plays into this theme that, well, you know, even though they are hardware and it is software, you know, maybe the diseases and, you know, that we experience as humans are actually just like bugs, right? They're they're basically just like bugs, but they're like fatal bugs. Um I love that parallel. Like, I, I think it's it's really, really well done. And it's kind of, like, coupled with Bernard as well, you know, when Bernard's all is shaking and that sort of thing. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. I love how there is that sort of organic parallel there. So, then what is the what is the underlying bit of encrypted code? Yeah, what is that? I, I have no idea. Was that discussed in Season 1? Because who, up, who uploaded it? We don't know who uploaded it, but they just, they said it was critical IP. My theory is that it is the consciousness of William's father-in-law. Because <laughs> because in that scene where um, they have that farewell party uh, for the retirement party, um, William's father-in-law sort of says things that make it sound like he might be ill or dying and that there might be some kind of cure for this. And William says, look, that's not we're not there yet. Like that hasn't been, it's not going to happen in time. Um, so I feel like the cure was to prematurely upload his consciousness into a robot, which was Abernathy. Um, and that would explain why when Abernathy sees the picture of, um, what's her name? William's wife. He, has a massive freak out because he's seeing the picture of his own daughter. And that's why he says when he's talking to Ford later on that all he cares about is protecting his daughter, um, which, you know, maybe he's trying to protect his daughter from William. Maybe William trapped him in that thing and no one knows that he's there except for, you know, certain people at headquarters. Um, maybe that's the only time they've ever uploaded uh, someone's consciousness into a robot and um, they want to be able to do it again. So that it's really important to get them out so they can figure that out. I don't know. But I feel like it, there's got to be something really serious going on about what's being encrypted there or it's going to be a massive letdown. I 
love that theory, Anager, because I actually think that theory explains a lot, right? Yeah. It kind of explains... Like, okay, so I think, actually, that maybe, like, this was kind of part of the Delos plan, and maybe this entire investment was really just about Delos finding a way to live forever. Mm-hmm. And that at the end of last season, whatever code Ford was running had finally reached its end, and they were actually able to digitally capture Delos and shove him into a host mine, right? And then at yeah. that point, the park becomes irrelevant, in some ways, right? Because Delos is basically like, like, well, I mean, this whole thing is just for me to be immortal. Once I've ch- achieved Im- mm-hmm. immortality, I don't care. Burn the place down, right? Which is mm-hmm. why Ford can, like, with gay abandon, basically, like, just say, well, actually, my, like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna cause havoc, right? It also kind of, ex- kind of explains why William is so jaded, because clearly he's, not keen on his father-in-law coming back. Um, yeah. And why William says in this season that, like, all of this is going to burn, right? Because, I mean, he mm. probably knows that the plan is that once they get Delos's mind out of the park, they're just going to scrub it. So, mm. yeah, like, I, I think, yeah, it's it's a very... That's a, that's a really, really good theory, Anja. That, like... I have... Yes, but I don't think... Like, Westworld. Westworld is now becoming um, altered carbon. Yeah, but I mean... Exactly. Yeah, but I think... I, I was talking to Mags about this, and it dovetails really nicely as well already, because, I mean, if you're able to artificially... Like, if you're... I mean, you've re- if you're able to basically create a consciousness and shove it into one of those, like, the sort of artificial brains they have... Why not, right? Why couldn't you turn an actual person's personality into ones and zeros and then put Absolutely. it into... Yeah. And then it also dovetails with this idea that they've been collecting people's data, right? Because maybe they've been cre- collecting people's data and then trying to, like, experiment with people's data by creating hosts out of them, right? As, like, mm. as an experiment to get to the stage where they can get to the perfect Delos replica, Essentially, mm. yeah, mm. Mm. it's that's that's a that's a solid theory. Because that's what the movie the, the the movie Westworld, the sequel to that Future World, that's what they were doing. They were creating actual people. Um, they, they were creating robots to mimic actual people who visited the park, and then sending the robots back into into real life. Mm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 a great theory. Um, any others? And, and, and the, the, is that and so maybe that's why Ford wants made out in the real world. Yeah, because I guess Ford's look. I, I actually think that Ford is more benevolent than people give him credit for, right? Like, um, I think maybe Ford wants Maeve out into the real world because he kind of believes that his creations shouldn't just be a a stepping stone for Delos to achieve immortality. Like, he's like, what a prick, right? These these things have kind of served your purpose for so long so that you can achieve your aims. And now you're just going to discard them as if they're not alive when we've proven very conclusively, I guess, to this point, that 
they've passed the Turing test and, you know, like for however many years they've been operating like this and they're conscious individuals, right? And so maybe for, that's like Ford's FU, which is that, well, you know, fine, you're going to get your brain uploaded into consciousness, but all my hosts are actually alive and I'm going to have maybe is kind of like my wild card that I'm going to like unleash on the world, I guess. Yeah. Interesting. No, the, the other character I'm really intrigued about, it's not really a theory, but who is Grace? This new character that's appeared. We don't know her name is Grace because I think they got that from an IMBD page. So that uh. could be, that could be them, <laughs> them screwing with us because they've done that before with the Rickroll. Um, <laughs> It could be someone else who's just put that up there. So we don't know for yeah. sure that her name's Grace. Well, Mystery Lady X, then, who was yeah. in the um, colonial... Because if she's uh, Grace, she can't be anyone else, right? Because there's no mm. one else called Grace. But if she's not Grace, she could be one of the other characters um, grown up or back in time. Like, I, I know that some people have like hypothesised that she's... Um, uh, Thing's daughter, William's daughter, grown up, but obviously she mm. can't be if her name's Grace. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, that's a really good point actually about the the time period. Is she that period, the time when she was in um, uh, Ra, the, what's it called, the Raj Park? Raj, yeah, the Raj. Yep. The Raj. <laughs> <laughs> was that happening at exactly the same time or immediately after Ford? Um, Ford ending his own life at Dolores's hand, or did that happen, you know, earlier? Many uh, how years long? ago. Who knows? Yeah how, yeah. how long has she been in Westworld? Um, you know, and with all those sort of walls breaking down between all the different worlds, um, what does this mean in terms of the other guests who are in the park now intermingling with one another? And, uh, you know, is the purpose of all those other parks the same as Westworld? Is Westworld unique in some way? Because the man in black visits Westworld all the time and it was the first, you know, incarnation of these pleasure parks. Um, lots of different questions. Mm. Yeah, like, uh, uh, the, look, I know that they do play games with time. My sense is that um, the way, you know, look, obviously the way they want us to read that scene is that to think that this is occurring concurrently with this latest park malfunction, um, I guess. But yeah, I mean, she, de she definitely has something to do with Delos, right? Because she has that diary. The she opens that book, and in in it, there's like these there's there's like the drawing. There's like a map, and then it looks ah. like a Delos logo. Yeah, it, it's really weird. Really? Yeah. It looks like a Delos I remember logo. the diary, but I don't remember what was inside it. I'm going to watch that again. <laughs> yeah. I, I interpret it as a map, right? It's kind of hard. And, like, maybe it's a map towards... Because, you know... Okay, so the other big thing that's linked to this is that William talks about this weapon, right? So they're all rushing to, the, like, mm -hmm. this super weapon. You know, like, Dolores is, a, is aware of this super weapon, which looks mm. like just a canyon with a bunch of excavators there. It's like, what is going on, right? But, like, they all allude to this super weapon that they're all going to, right? So, you know, like, 
does she actually have the map to the super weapon? And so then mm-hmm. who is she? Is she a rival corporation? Does she work for Delos? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, and it gets more and more intriguing as well, because, like, you know, in the opening, the first scene of season two, like, when all the soldiers are landing on the island, well, not soldiers, you know, the private militia of Delos, they're all, like, mm-hmm. landing on the island, and then they're talking to the Chinese, it looks like the Chinese Coast Guard or something, right? Mm-hmm. The Chinese Coast Guard is like, get off my island within X, mm-hmm. X time, or there's going to be consequences, mm-hmm. and then when... Mm-hmm. Arnold is taking um, Dolores it through the real world. It's implied that it's in China, right? Because it, mm. there's all these Chinese yeah. characters written. So, oh, and and his house, his house looks very yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. My sense was that it was in Shanghai or something like that, right? So it's kind of like, well, yeah. but then all of these, like geographically, how does this work? Like all of these places are actually linked, and then they're linked to the real world. But then it seems like you know, when they first get into the sort of control bunkers, right? The soldiers first get into the control bunkers. The top levels are the ones that are the old ones. And it seems the further down you go, the newer it gets. So there's right. lots of, like, sort of weird stuff going on there. Mm. Um, the other thing I was going to talk about was... Ghost Nation, you know the the natives. Oh yeah, yeah. What's what's going on with those guys? And why do they have the maze carved into their head? Are they the only ones who have the maze carved into their heads? Because there's a theory out there that Ghost Nation are just there to protect the humans, and that's what they're currently doing. Because you never actually see them hurting the humans, and I just I think that makes sense because um, remember how they have those toys that look like the humans, that look like the people who do the repairs, and um, remember Mae finds one, and they say that that's one of their gods. So it makes sense that they're somehow working for the humans, but it would be horrible if that's what function the characters that look like natives are there for to serve the masters. Like, oh, not be great. <laughs> I mean, that would make sense though, right? Because they want to take Sizemore. Mm. But it's not like, it's implied at like when you watch it, it's like, oh, they want to go and kill him, right? But then... But they're do not they? throwing spears at them. No. no yeah, do <laughs> they? Do they really? Yeah. That's 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 a that's yeah. that's that's a good point. Um, and don't forget, they're the ones who find they're the ones who find Grace. When Grace swims out of the lake um, next mm. to the Bengal tiger, um, she looks up, and there are a couple of Ghost Nation warriors staring down at her, and it's meant to look scary, and we're meant to worry for her fate, but it could well be that you know they're, they're there to pick her up and. Uh, and send it on her merry way. So, the other thing I was going to say is, so, you know when they find all of the hosts just sitting in that inland lake sort of thing? Like, all the hosts mm. seem like they're mm. dead. And they're just... Drowned, yeah. Yeah. Do you think that's a trap? <laughs> the Dolores... For sure. Getting... <laughs> it's a Trojan horse. Why would we... Th- yeah, I think that's the, the Trojan horse. It looks like, oh, this is really safe. We've won. They're all dead. But you can't kill robots with water. So, <laughs> um, yeah, definitely a trap. 
So do you think Bernard is leading them into the Trojan horse trap? That he's actually now fully bought into the robot side, and he's he leading... He looks pretty confused. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, the, 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 this, the, is anyone worried that this, uh, this is all leading towards Westworld becoming a, a big zombie movie? I mean, already we're seeing some zombification of some of the, some of the hosts, uh, particularly the ones brought back to life by Dolores in, ep- in episode two. Clementine certainly looks like a, a zombie. Mm. And if the entire body of hosts in the lake are capable of, are, are really just undead, then, um, then Westworld becomes this giant, weird uh, zombie movie. Uh, well, let's see. Let's see where they take it. Yeah, that... Be... That would be unfulfilling. Mm, mm. Um, okay, so one last thing that I want to talk about that kind of was a bit weird for me was how... So in episode three, Maeve and... Sizemore and her group come across Armistice. Mm. What? How, how did that happen? Why was Armistice just wandering around? Like, one of the things that I'm very confused by right now is clearly there's been a massacre all through the park, right? Hosts are malfunctioning. Mm-hmm. There's a massacre all through the park. Why was the control center massacred like that when it was really just... Hector and Armistice, who were in the control centre, right? Well, but, didn't they massacre everybody? But they couldn't have killed everybody. It like because you Why know because even Maeve, when she's walking around, when she comes back from the train, is like, "What the hell is going on here?" Right? So, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like I mean, Armistice clearly had a bit of time off because she had her arm replaced, right? Her her hand replaced. I assume she she sawed off her arm at the end of season one, killed everybody, found Sylvester and um, Felix, got Felix to sew her a new arm, and has been guarding them and guarding the control center since. And I was perfectly happy with that explanation. Oh, so so that's that's because I I went like I was really confused. I was like, why are Sylvester and Felix kind of here again? Like, what? <laughs> Because uh, I can't. I think I, she knows they're important to Maeve, so that she wouldn't kill those two. I don't know why Sylvester's there, but Felix is obviously important to Maeve because he cares about her and has helped her in the past. Yeah. How uh, did they get there so quickly? You remember how in the last scene of, season of Game of Thrones, people travelled through Westeros really quickly? Yes. <laughs> We're kind of seeing a bit of that here because Maeve didn't spend. She took a lift ride to the train platform. She was in the train for probably at most two minutes, stepped out again. And that's where we leave her at the end of Season 1. Start of Season 2, she, she's back in the control center. Everyone's been wiped out. She finds Sizemore, finds Hector, and goes uh, on her way to find her daughter. And along the way, um, they end up at this other outpost, and there are Armistice, Sylvester, and Felix. And they're already... I mean, they're, and, and in that time... Um, Armistice has a new arm, and they're already there uh, really quickly, bearing in mind that they, they didn't have much of a head start. They couldn't have had much of a head start on, on those. So we're seeing we're seeing the same sort of Westeros magic carpet transport some of the characters around the Westworld Park. 
Yeah, I, I think that's kind of why I found it so confusing, actually. Because mm. it, it did seem like, hang on, how did these people get here? And, yeah, in, in an otherwise, like, quite grounded, well... When I say grounded, I mean it's a show about robots, right? But like, in an otherwise quite sort of grounded show, show it it did stand out to me as a little bit jarring, right? So they wanted a merry band for for a Mave, and so they did a bit of hand waving. Got her one. <laughs> Man, why did they bring back Felix? He was the most infuriating character. Oh, I love him. <laughs> He's just doing, like, completely incomprehensible stuff. You're like, you know, my main theory in season one was that Felix was a host. I was like, that's the only way you can explain him doing what he's doing, right? Like, what are you doing, buddy? Like, <laughs> But he keeps the, the original one who cares about the robots and, and treats them like they're human. You know, like he tries to bring that little bird back to life. He puts he puts like a blanket over one of the robots, and Ford comes up and says, rips it off, and pretty much says, "What do you think you're doing? These things are not real. You don't need to hide their modesty." And he cuts one of them on the, on the face. Like yeah. Felix is like, you know, like I have a soft spot for Felix. Yeah, but when one of them wakes up, wouldn't your first response be to report it? Like what? <laughs> it's just really weird. Anyway. Well, he's alive, and I guess he's he's in the merry band. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Um, does anybody else have any other thoughts? I know that it's it's been quite a disjointed podcast because I think going through three episodes of material in a slightly unstructured way um, naturally makes for a little bit of disjointedness. But does anybody else have any other thoughts? Just looking forward to next episode, hoping we see William and um, Logan and all of them again in that one. Yeah, go ahead, Gerald. Anna Joe and I tried watching the original movie the other night. We got about halfway through. This thing is unwatchable. It is the most irredeemable piece of shit movie uh, I've ever seen. It's so, so boring. It's It's just dated. I told you it would be dated. (laughs) It was dated. But, like, like, how is it possible for a movie starring Yul Brynner to be that bad? It's just so, so dull. Mate, he's Um, he's made instincts. I, mean, I, I just don't know how it is. That, I don't know what it is that the creators of the show saw in this movie. Something in this movie, something in the movie, just made me go, "Yeah, let's 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 remake this," um, because the movie itself is just soporific. I mean, it just is so boring, uh, and there's <laughs> so little tension in it. It takes so long to get started. Um, I mean, kudos to the showrunners for seeing some germ of an idea in the movie and converting it into what is. Truly, a very intriguing, even occasionally enthralling show. Uh, because if I had sat down uh, to watch the movie, I would not have seen that at all. I would have just sort of turfed it and not given the idea of Westworld a second thought. But they've obviously seen something there, and uh, and and um, good on them. Now, uh, uh, one 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 question I have is: Are there any other worlds besides Raj World and Samurai World? I think we know there are six. They commented that there were six on one in season one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's uh, like my my sense is that they all connect to this big lake in the center, right? Which is why everyone is kind of floating towards 
towards that area. Um, but I don't know what the other other ones are. <laughs> I found it interesting that Rajworld was one of them. <laughs> I guess. <That's> so bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'd love? A big HBO crossover and it turns out Westerosi is one of those words <laughs> and the White Walkers host yeah. gone mad. No. <laughs> Twist. <laughs> Twist. <laughs> Bran is the only human in the in Game of Thrones. Everyone else is a host. <laughs> <laughs> wow, um, Mags, any any last thoughts? I'm oh, just really looking forward to to the next episode Monday. Only three days away. <laughs> hey. Okay. Well, look. On, on that note, I think we'll end tonight's podcast. Um, as I said, our plan is to podcast. Um, do shorter podcasts every week um, about Westworld and um, maybe do a longer podcast about um, interesting films that are coming up. And I think we may do one on Deadpool 2 if everybody agrees. But um, Yep, sounds good. Yeah. Solo? Yeah, so I think that's um, the plan. And um, yeah, thanks again, every everybody, for a really interesting discussion. Um yeah, and I'll see you guys early next week for the next episode of Westworld. Awesome. See you then. Great. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.